You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. This episode is part two of the conversation with Clint Campbell of the Truth from the Stand podcast. If you didn't catch last week's episode, we covered the ins and outs of building on your experience to help you become a better deer hunter. In this episode, we're talking about expanding your property portfolio. One of the best things you can do to grow as a hunter and increase your effectiveness in in the woods is to push yourself to find, scout, and hunt new properties. Clint and I cover why you should seek out new hunting properties, how to quickly evaluate them, and how to pick them apart to formulate a plan that gets you on the deer next fall. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, what I wanted to cover at, in this portion is to talk a little bit about uh, the properties where we're hunting, right? So a lot of guys may be coming off of the past season, and they may be real happy with the place where they hunted this year, or they may not be happy with it at all. But I think for both camps, we can learn a lot and do a lot better, become better hunters simply by getting out there and, and pushing ourselves on new, on new turf. So make the case for people. Uh, why should they sort of step out of their comfort zone and search out some new ground for next hunting season? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's always a good, a good question, uh, I guess, uh, you know, to go piggyback or to circle back to the question we just kind of thought about or talked about as far as like what kind of questions should you ask yourself in the off season? It's like, you know, goes back to whatever your goal is. You should ask yourself every off season, do I, the properties that I'm hunting, are they giving me the experiences I want to have? Mm, right. That's, yeah. that's the first one, right? Like if you're trying to chase a certain caliber of deer, you know, are those deer there? If they're not, you're never going to see them if they're, if they're not there, you know, is the hunting pressure what I'm willing to withstand or can I find places in and around the hunting pressure or do I need to kind of look elsewhere? Right. Um, do I have enough places to hunt that I have enough options for different wind and different kind of pressure scenarios and, and, and stuff like that? You know, I think that those are like kind of like the, the primary things you should, part of what you should kind of evaluate in the off season when you're kind of going through your, you know, what questions, you know, should I, should I, should I ask myself, but as far as like specifically, you know, picking properties, I think two main reasons why it's, why it's, I think, critically important to anybody who wants to grow as a hunter. I think the first one that we'll cover kind of really quickly, you know, it's probably the most obvious is that you need to have a plan A through Z when you hunt public land. It's just, it is what it is. You know, you're not the only one that's there. You don't control how other people hunt it. Um, you don't control when they hunt it. You don't control when their access it or what their access is. Um, you don't control what caliber of deer they will or will not kill if they're passing deer, like all those things you have no, no control over. And so for me, it's like, I try to have as many spots as possible to give me a chance to kind of have the type of hunts that I want to have chase the caliber of deer that I want, that I want to chase. But then also gives me this, like I said earlier that I really kind of focus on when we were talking about cameras and how I hunt, it's like I'm hunting dates. I'm really kind of looking for 
specific places that are as many places as possible that I can get annual data around timeframes and dates that those places are going to be uh, most, uh, most effective or giving the best opportunity to have the encounter that I want to have. And you can only do that if you're just covering ground and you have a lot of places to go, to go hunt, mm. you know, and you might have a great, you know, Oak flat one year and Oaks may not drop or acorns may not drop the same the next year. And so now if that's your main spot and the only spot you got, now you don't have a spot, you know? <laughs> and so it's just, it's just that idea of like, you know, I, I'm a person who, you know, anything that I have, if I take it hunting with me or whatever, just in general, if I don't have two, I don't have any, Yeah. you know, one is none, two is one. It's yep. that idea, yep. right? Yep. It's, and it's the same idea whenever you're hunting. If you got one hunting spot, you ain't, you don't have a hunting spot. You don't have any, you know, yeah. if you have two, then you have one. If you have three, you might have two, but you probably still have one. You know what I mean? So yep. it's that idea of like, you need to stack them on top of each other, not just you know, the obvious answer is for wind purposes that you have, like, I don't want to be able to just hunt when I have a South wind. I want to hunt when I have a North wind. I want to hunt when I have an East wind, West wind. Like, so I need to find setups and places that give me an opportunity to have good hunts for pretty much any wind. Cause if I'm off on a Saturday and I only, and I have a Northeast wind, but I don't have a Northeast wind spot. Well, am I going to sit at home? You know, mm-hmm. or if you're going to go hunt that spot, then you just boogered it up. If it was good, it's not anymore. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. It's that whole idea. But I think the most important reason for exploring new ground, aside from just having, having options is, and I talked to Tony Peterson about this whenever I had him on my podcast and it's something, and I think he actually wrote a, a mediator article on it that, that uh, I gave him a quote for a couple quotes for, but, you know, I kind of refer to kind of scouting and exploring new ground as expanding my neural network. And so again, like I work in like health sciences and again, a digital strategist. So I relate everything back to kind of like data <laughs> and building data sets and stuff like that. And so for me, where I really kind of recognized it, or I don't want to say had an epiphany, but like it kind of dawned on me that like all the out of state hunting that I like to do. And a lot of times it's free, you know, freestyle hunting where I've never been there before. I'm just showing up for like a week or two weeks. And I'm going to figure it out. Um, what I learned was that after I had had so many different experiences of like hunting big woods, mountains, swamps, creek bottoms, river bottoms, plains, like all this different habitat and different kind of terrain and topography. And like, all of a sudden what I realized was, is like, I'm basically just building a data, a database in my mind of all these different setups that I've seen. And so now when I see like, for example, like a, it happened to me when I was in Missouri, I was hunting this, this river bottom and I'd never hunted river bottom before. And I kind of scouted this whole section and came across uh, this like awesome scrape line that was like super fresh Mm. and just the way like the topography laid out and the way the foliage kind of was set up and where the, where the kind of river was, it set up almost, I won't say identical, but I had deja vu when I was there. And really all deja vu is like you're retrieving a memory of something that's, that feels eerily similar, right. Of of something that you're seeing. And so really what it was, was that that spot looked very similar to a place that I hunted in a swamp in Pennsylvania that I'd hunted and set up almost the same way. And so immediately when I saw it, I was like, man, I was like, if I get this wind tomorrow, you know, close to this, this river with the thermal and like the, the river current pulling my wind doing X, Y, and Z. I bet the deer are going to come from this direction. I was like, I could probably hunt this tomorrow morning. Mm. So I came back and hunted and set up. And sure enough, like right after daybreak, I think we ended up seeing three bucks, two shooters, you know, on the ground. And it was just because in that moment, I kind of knew exactly how I needed to hunt it because it felt like I'd been there before. Yeah. 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 And so to me, the best way to become a better hunter, like there's no magic elixir, there's no magic product. Like there's some good products out there that I do truly feel that help you. Um, but there's not one that's going to just like deliver you. Unfortunately, the only way to really become a better hunter and progress is to spend time in the woods hunting Yeah. and scout. Like, that's it. Like, I hate to break it to everybody. There's no easy way out. Like you got to put on the miles, you know? Sure. Uh, and that's really what putting on the miles does is it just gives you a, a wide variety of experiences to draw, to draw on. You know what I mean? If you only know one thing, 
it's like the old saying, like a, a man who knows one thing knows nothing. Right. It's like, you don't need to be an expert in everything. You always want to have like an area of expertise, right? Sure. But because you have a deep expertise in one area, you're really, really easily able to see like the through lines to other areas where you have less experience, but still experience nonetheless. Right. But it's those like, you know, that multitude of experience just kind of gives you that, you know, the different flavors you're going to need or the different spices you're going to need to make the, you know, to, to, to make the dinner you're trying to make for, you know, for example, to use a really shitty analogy, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and so for me, it's like, that's really why finding new properties is probably more important to me than actually finding hunting spots is actually just the, that experience yeah. of like seeing new stuff. Like you only get better at reading deer sign by reading more deer sign. You only get better at like, figuring out what sign is huntable sign versus not huntable sign by seeing hot sign, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, qualifying it and being right and knowing like, okay, this is what this means now. Sure. You know? And so it's all those things that kind of create what I refer to as like my neural hunting network to where whenever I get to a spot, it's like, I can pretty quickly diagnose like what I need to do. And I don't have to spend a lot of time necessarily thinking about it. I might have to think about like where my setup is. Right. Like I might stop and do that. You know, I might spend 20 minutes just sitting, like trying to figure out what tree I'm going to get into. And that's a whole, you know, something I've picked up from Jake Bush is just, you know, in October, for example, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, I got to a spot. I've scouted a ton. I now get to a spot. I'm like, man, deja vu. This feels like this spot I hunted in Missouri. All right. I think this is the setup. This is how I think the deer are going to come in. This is what my wind's doing. Okay. Yeah, this is how I need to be. This is this is the spot that I need to be set up in. Well, then next, it's like if it's October, it's like you might want to sit for twenty minutes and listen to like where are the squirrels at. Oh, they're they're fifty yards over to my west. Mm, yeah. What does that mean? Oh, there's a there's likely an oak tree over there. It's dropped. I should probably be over there. Yep. Right? That's the destination. That's the spot within the spot. Yep. Right. So it's like the combination of like building that neural network of like understanding a multitude of things and being able to kind of like analyze it and distill it quickly, but then being patient enough to let the place come to you. Like, that's why I like to kind of explore a lot of different areas. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, for, for those same reasons, I've, I've made it a personal goal to pick up at least one new property a year. Now that may be um, a public piece or, uh, you know, next week I'm, I'm mailing out another 25 letters to people who are in my area where, uh, basically I'm saying, Hey, I've seen deer in your field. Can I hunt there next year? Um, not quite in those terms, but somewhere like that. Right. So I'm trying to add new places every single year. What does your process look like as far as, uh, choosing a new area? Like I, I I've kind of got my own thing. And a lot of mine is based on having three young kids where mm -hmm. basically the qualifications are are there deer on the property? And is it 10 minutes from my house? And if right. the answer to those things is yes, then I want to hunt there. Uh, but right. what, what, what's your criteria? Um, <clears throat> a lot of times, I mean, I'll just put it this way. Like locally, you know, the pandemic was good for me. Um, <laughs> that uh, first year of the pandemic, I scouted every piece of public property uh, within 40 minutes of my house in that off season. Wow. Like, like every, every piece. Um, now I didn't scout all of them thoroughly. I, and a lot of times I, a lot of times I don't like, I, I kind of pick the places on the map that I think where deer are going to be, you know, and, and that I'm going to be able to get away from people. And I kind of prioritize and I kind of might quickly make my way through some of the, like the quote unquote less desirable areas. And I'll pay attention as I'm going through, but I'm moving through those spots pretty quickly. So I'm either figuring like either one, the sign's not going to be great or two, there's going to be people like sign that's there. that's going to keep me from wanting to spend any time there. And so you know, so I have covered a ton of ground. Um, really what I'm looking for is, is there a spot that I haven't, that I've overlooked that can get me away from people? Like okay. that's always my like number one priority. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm fortunate now, like my daughter's 13. So, so I don't need like, there's not the, the constant daddy care and stuff like that. That has <laughs> to go on. So, you know, I'm able to kind of get away. And so, for example, this past year, you know, uh, part of it was, you know, I usually locally I'll have, you know, uh, at least one good deer to chase. And when I say one good deer, like something that's in like the thirties or forties, you know, and then maybe a handful of like one or two, like one twenty fives, one twenties or whatever that if they're the only ones around and they're the most mature deer, then they're on the list. You know what I mean? But usually I'll have like one that's in like the thirties or so. 
And so really, I really, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to find an area that I could chase better caliber of deer more consistently, mm. you know? And so, you know, and I was, I was willing to drive for it. And so I, it's a couple hours from my house. I have the travel trailer that I built out, you know, turned it into like a mobile hunting rig, you know, that was my other pandemic project. Um, and, uh, where I can go off grid and stay in as long as I need to. And, um, and so I made the trip that's a couple hours from my house and scouted all last year, you know, in the off season, you know, a couple of different times and hung some cameras. And, you know, when I looked at that, I was really kind of looking, it's a big chunk. It's in the several hundred thousand acre kind of realm. Okay. Right. So like that becomes very, very daunting very quickly. Right. Sure. Cause it's not just like, Oh, it's this 250 acre piece of public to where it's like, I can go in in two hours, have the spot that I, the only spot that I'm willing to hunt, have it scouted out and done and know whether or not it's going to be any good or not. You know, this is like, how do I take this place that I've never been to and like figure out out of like this 150,000 acres, like what's the, 500 acres that I'm going to hunt. Wow. You know what I mean? I'm going to scout more than that, you know, but I need to like scout more so I can get like a huntable amount of a huntable tract essentially sure. that I feel like I know what's going on. Um, and so that really, you know, came down to, you know, looking at habitat kind of first and foremost, you know what I mean? You know, making it, trying to make, trying to make it simple for myself. You know, it was like, where can I find reasonable habitat that I think deer is going to want to, going to want to spend time in and where can I find like some slight elevation changes and stuff like that, that are going to kind of, that I can play like benches or I can play draws or I can play like a stream or something like that. And is it kind of far enough off the beaten path that I think that I'm able to get away from, from some people, you know, or is there something that keeps them from crossing something to kind of keep people out of it or whatever? Fortunately, this place doesn't have a ton of pressure, all things considered for Pennsylvania, uh, just because of the sheer size of it. Um, but those were kind of really my criterias. Um, and that was kind of, you know, how I picked the spot and then it became, I'm going to focus on this area. Like mm-hmm. there's all this around here, but I'm going to focus on like this, this mount, this part of the mountain, you know what I mean? Like, and that's going to be it. And it might take me five years to like fully know it, but there's going to be at least decent deer here, I would suspect. Right. And so that's kind of like, and you go in, you quickly qualify, you try to find signs and stuff like that. And, you know, you try to figure out, does it look good? Does it not look good? And sometimes you got to talk to some locals to understand, like, to qualify signs. It's not all equal everywhere, right? It's like, I see much bigger sign locally where I live. Um, but I know I have a deer on camera in this other place that I've been that made it through gun season. It was 160 inches this year, probably going to be a Boone and Crockett deer next year. Wow. You know what I mean? And like, you would never know by the science laid down you know what I mean? And there was another one that was in there. Like there was probably three deer that were between like 145 and like 170. Sheesh. Okay. Yeah. So it was like, so, so that I went this year, like the first year and I hunted it two days in October. And I I tried to learn more about it and I hunted like, you know, uh, a different spot from where I had scouted because I was trying to just like spend time learning stuff in in October. And uh, I basically came away with like, three really good spots in, in that particular area that all had really, really good deer, you know, inconsistently. Um, and so now my next process is, is like the, you know, I went back in late season and, and I kind of still hunted and scouted and kind of figured out where they were laying down a lot of their sign and trying to figure out where they're spending the majority of their time. And, um, cause the one spot I have a lot of nocturnal kind of trail camera pictures, you know, and, one spot I've got daylight. And so I feel pretty good about that spot, but the spot that I really want to be at has that deer that's going to probably push 170 inches. And so I'm like, all right, I need to figure out where he's at over here. And so I feel like I got a good piece of the puzzle. And so there's not like, like, again, there's not like a magic elixir. It's like, you know, when you break a place down, you have to have like, what's your goal? My goal was I wanted to be able to consistently chase. I wanted a more target rich environment of deer that were 130 inches or bigger. That's what I wanted. I didn't need to have Boone and Crockett deer. I just wanted to know that I could go somewhere and consistently have more than one deer that was going to be 130 inches or better. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I was looking for because where I live, I was typically getting one of those a year. And if he vanished, say I had him in the summer and he transitioned for fall and I lost him. I mean, he could be three miles away on a piece of private somewhere. You know what I mean? And that, and I have no chance. So my season effectively around me is kind of dead for the year. Sure. You know, 
Um, not entirely because you just scout and try to find another one, but you know, I don't have, I don't have a prospect necessarily. And so the whole goal for me was to go somewhere where I had more room to room so I could move more often. And if I knew there was a deer in the area, I could go try to track him down. And I wanted a more target rich environment of deer that were 130 inches or better, you know, and doesn't have to be 10, but can I get three, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, that I locate. And then hopefully one, I can kind of figure out like getting like in daylight and kind of, and can put on some hunts, you know? Um, and then from there, you know, can I start to hang trail cameras and start to make a plan and start working on that annual data pattern? You know what I mean? To where it's like, now I can strategically strike and know what areas are going to kind of turn on when and, and things of that nature. Right. And so whenever I'm looking at a new piece for me, a new piece isn't for this year, like that piece that I scouted yes, last year, I, I knew, and it's obviously a big woods piece. I, I knew that it was going to be probably a three year, a three year project. You know, and so I just kind of walk into it knowing that like, Hey, I might not even hunt it this year, which I ended up hunting it like three days, I think. Um, and then, so I'm kind of ahead by a year. I thought I wouldn't hunt it at all this year. And I thought next year I'd maybe hunt it like three or four days. And I thought the third year is really whenever I would actually put on like some hunts. And so, but now it's like, I kind of figured out enough that I feel like, man, if I have a good off season there this year and start to figure some stuff out, <clears throat> if I can locate where that booner's at, I may skip Kansas next year and just go there because I don't know how many times I'm going to have an opportunity in my life to try to kill a 170 inch deer in Pennsylvania. That's a bold move. That's a bold I move. I know. It's like, I'm dying to go back to Kansas. That's kind of the plan. But I'm like, if I know where he's at and he's killable, um, I was like, then I think I'll spend my time there because a deer like that, I'm not going to find very often, you know, in, in, in PA necessarily, you yep. know, so. Yep. All right. So the things that sort of make for the property that you're looking for, uh, really, really individual, right? I mean, people may be looking for different things. You were looking for a target rich environment, a couple of deer over 130. You want lots of room to roam, that kind of thing. And a lot of that comes down to what your specific goals are. So we want to find a piece of property that meets your goals. Like if you are happy with any deer with archery equipment, then man, really prioritize that target rich environment. Probably not going to be looking for the big woods. Right. Like right. I'm probably going to look for some ag somewhere around me. Maybe uh, if yeah. I want something real big, like if I'm, if I'm saying it's a, it's a Pope and young class deer or nothing, well then there may be a whole different set of, of qualities to that property that I'm looking for. What mm -hmm. you mentioned that you'd had spent a lot of time on all the properties sort of around you and, and, and really scouted, scouted out everything right there around you. What makes you say no to a property? Like when you get to one, you spend a little bit of time on it. I feel like, my, the temptation in me is to get out to a property, invest a little bit of time in it, and then feel like I'm invested and be like, well, mm -hmm. if I walk away from this now, then all that time was wasted. So what, right. what, what might be a good reason to sort of say, you know what, cutting my losses here, I'm moving down the road. Yeah. Um, I think it's the old investment adage. It's like, I'm not interested in throwing bad money on bad money. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it, it's that kind of idea where it's like, I've already had a loss, you know, I've already invested yep. the time you know, any more time invested is just, is, is just, is compounding the, the issue or compounding the problem. You sure. Know? It's not getting any closer to what my goals are. Um, you know, I think that it's, uh, I have a, I have a willingness to just like, I, I just, it's funny. Cause like I've done like personality index tests and stuff like that for work, for team building and stuff like that throughout my career. Yeah. And like the one that always comes up for me is like, has a high acceptance of failure. Hmm. Because like, I feel like if you're not failing, you're not trying, Yep. you know? And so if I go to a place and I see it and it's not right, I don't feel bad about just ditching it. You, you know what I mean? And I just kind of like, and I act as though it doesn't even exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like for whatever reason I have a, have an ability just to kind of drop it and, and, um, and walk away and, and, and not dwell. Um, I trust my eyes, you know, and that, and that's hard to do you know, especially for people. And it, you know, it wasn't probably really until like maybe the past like four or five years, you know, that I've been able to kind of trust my eyes and know that whenever I walk mm -hmm. into a piece and I see it and my spidey senses kind of go, eh, man, I ain't feeling this, you know, to know that like, don't come back. If you don't feel like it's the spot, you're never going to have the confidence that it's the spot walking in ever. You know what I mean? And so then at that point, there's no point to even be there. Yep. It's like, if you walk into a place and you're like, yeah, I'm going to set up. I'm probably not going to kill anything. It's like, well, then leave. Yeah. You know go somewhere I mean? else. Like, 
Right. Unless you're trying to watch birds, you know what I mean? If that's your goal when you go out to hunt to watch birds, then great. But if you're carrying a bow and your goal is to fill a tag, like you should never get into a place and be like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Like if you're saying that to yourself, then get in your truck, go somewhere else or walk and go wherever the next place is that could be better or, or scout and just walk and scout. There's been so many times, especially in late season where I go out and I go out with the intention to hunt and I never get into a tree. Hmm. I just, I end up walking and scouting the whole, the whole time, you know, and it's because I didn't see anything that I felt like I was going to be in the right spot. I wasn't going to be in the chips. So I'm not going to set up and waste four hours of my life sitting in a tree on a hope and a prayer when I can go again, build that neural network for later hunts. Let me go see more stuff. That's going to benefit me more than sitting in that tree, hoping something comes by. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you, we're, we're picking some spots, right? Like we we've located maybe a place that we, you know, first glance, we kind of are feeling good about it, right? We want to try this place out. We go there. We're, we're starting to see some of the things that we want to see, right? W- what are some of the common features that maybe hold true throughout different terrain types that are going to make you key in and say, okay, yeah, this is a, this is a place that I can work with. Yeah. I think, again, I think it's contextual to like what place you're hunting, right? Cause yep. different, like I said before, like different sign, all sign is not created equal and it's certainly not created equal in all parcels. I mm-hmm. guess that's, that's one way to say it. Right. Yep. Um, and so for like big woods, you know, uh, man, I'm really trying to use, annual data in big woods on primary scrapes. And it's like, if it's, if I don't have a primary scrape close by, I'm probably not going to hunt that spot, that area. Mm. Um, only because like they're so their their movement is so, uh, scattered maybe isn't the right word, but it seems so like they seem so nomadic in the big woods to where it's like, even if you do have them on a pattern, it's like, is it a three day pattern? Is it five days? It's seven days an eight day. If I have a five days to hunt and it's an eight day pattern, I sit there sitting in that general area for five days. I'm never going to see him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, so in those areas, it's like, I'm trying to find like magnets that, that are going to draw them in. I've tried sitting like funnels and big woods and stuff like that. And they just don't, they don't, they don't move far enough or they have so much area to cover. Like say, for example, during the rut, we'll kind of talk primary during the rut because a lot of times when people are spending most of their time hunting, especially working people, because that's the, you know, that's the best time for, for movement and so forth. Um, like I've hunted like the big woods, like, you know, during the rut where it's like I sat train features and stuff like that. And they just have to travel so far between doe family groups, especially like when you get into areas that are low deer density, that they just don't make it through those areas consist like frequently enough mm. to know like for sure when they might like loop back to check this doe bedding area or whatever the case is a little different if you're like a really good bed hunter and you can kind of get on, you know, a general area where they might be spending time in like early October and like a food source or whatever. And maybe there's a funnel that kind of leads to, you know, an Oak flat or whatever, like those are certainly kind of viable. Right. But again, I'm a working dude. So I'm relying on, I'm relying on trail camera data and I'm relying on annual trail camera data, especially in those scenarios to kind of help me pinpoint what specific days I need to be spending time. Whenever we get into smaller parcels, I do hunt smaller parcels on a, you know, in, in the suburbs in some suburban setups and those areas there, you know, I'm really kind of looking for anywhere that I see, you know, multiple trails kind of converging you know, because they're usually smaller, they're usually tighter spots. And so it's like, it's going to be pretty defined movement, you know? And so I'm looking for like what those, what those setups are, where are those kind of like beaten down goat pads at that they're ultimately any deer that's going to want to get from point A to point B is going to 80% of the time have to use this, right? You have to use this area, right? I'm looking for those kind of like pinches and funnels and, 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 uh, and things of that nature. And then just in general, you know, regardless of whether it's big woods, I mean, it plays, a lot into big woods because it's a lot of times where you'll find sign as well. But anytime I can find you new know, multiple things kind of all coming together at the same spot. Like that is like, that's like the, that's like the, you know, in high school when everyone would hang out in the parking lot, like in, in their, like in their car and trucks and on the table <laughs> listening and stuff, you know, oh, yeah. hanging out at like seven 11. That was like the Friday hang. <laughs> Ours was Burger King. Ours was Burger King. 
<laughs> I think Lars was Burger King too. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I'm too old to remember, but um, the uh, like, to me, that's what those places are. Like that's the hang, you know what I mean? Like yep. and when you can find all those things kind of come together in one, in one spot. And a lot of times, especially if you're talking about scrapes and you're in like hill country or something like that, it's like a lot of times you're talking about, you know, I know a lot of new hunters listen to this, but like, they'll probably hear this term if they're listening to podcasts are probably in and around like thermal hubs. And it's, and it's that that's the ultimately the place where it's like you a lot of times have like multiple features kind of coming together, whether it's like a saddle or like a bench kind of like into like a bottom or, you know, something like that to where the, the thermal is going to want to dump in there into that bottom, especially like in the evening. Right. Because that's where a deer can kind of go in the evening or at dark, whenever the sun isn't heating this, the, the earth and the scent is all going to kind of fall into there. So they can basically scent check everything like around them by kind of walking through that bottom or that low area or that thermal hub. And a lot of times like where you find those will be an area where you have a bunch of things that are kind of ultimately coming together. There's usually going to be probably some rubs in and around there. Cause there's going to be bucks that are kind of traveling through there's checking for does, even if it's October or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're going to likely have a, a, a good scrape that's there, whether it's a community scrape or not, I don't know, but there's a really good chance that it would be because of where it's, of where it's located especially if you have like some of the ridges that are around, if it's like, if they're kind of thick or whatever, and it's good for bedding, that's, you know, even, even better, obviously, if it's low, you're going to have like a little bit damper soil. So it's going to hold sign a lot better. So you're going to really be able to see like tracks and stuff like that. You're going to be able to see where precisely they're walking, where those trails are at and things like that. So that's a place where like a lot of things are kind of coming together and connecting lines of movement together all in one spot. So you try to get as many of those things in your favor as you possibly can in these areas to kind of to interconnect the puzzle pieces. Like you, you, you often don't want to like have only one piece of the puzzle and that's a spot that you want, that you're going to hunt. You want to try to have, you might not have all the puzzle pieces, but you want to be able to have like two, three, four of the pieces, pieces of the puzzle that are all kind of connecting in that one place to give you the best chance to kind of see, you know, the deer that you want to see or the quality of deer or the number of deer, whether you know, whatever your goal is, if it's quality age structure or whether it's just target opportunity, whatever the case is, the more things you can have converge at a spot, the better, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the big things that separates those, uh, those okay spots with that. I, I think a lot of us probably kind of grew up hunting, right? Like you, you walk into the woods, you find the first good looking place and you set up on it because it had one thing that you're looking for. The thing that separates those kinds of spots from the really great spots where you go in and you, your odds are, are really good. Like you've got a really good chance of seeing what you want to see is that compounding features, like multiple things coming together at the same spot that separates the okay spots from the really great, great spots that stand out. Yeah. And that, those things that converge, it could be a combination of like terrain, uh, habitat edge, you know, it doesn't always have to be necessarily a thermal hub, you know, cause there's like the places that I'm hunting, particularly like the place, the new place that I hunted this year that had the one really good encounter, not a thermal hub, but the reason I liked it, there was a, it was adjacent to doe bedding to my North and doe bedding to my South. Right. So I had doe bedding on both sides of me. And there was a big community scrape in there with a pretty good sized licking branch that was, that was broken. I didn't know that when I went in there, when I scouted it, I just happened to find it and I saw a big licking branch that was pretty thick. And I was like, all right, this is good based on the doe bedding that I think is around here. I think it's a community scrape. And then there was a signpost rub about 20 yards from that community scrape. And I saw a big track. This is all postseason scouting. And I saw a big track in that, in that scrape. Mm. So I knew it had been hit recently in the postseason. So this was like February and there was a big track in the scrape. And okay. I was like, now he didn't paw it. I'm assuming it's a he because of how big the track was. It wasn't pawed. I think it was working the licking branch in his, in his, and he, and he, and he stepped in it, yep. you know, his ground was soft enough that I could see it. So there was a couple pieces of the puzzle. None of it had to do with the thermal hub or anything like that. Right. Or thermals or anything to that, uh, uh, to that regard, but it all had to do with like little puzzle pieces that were all kind of connected in one spot. Big track says there's a good deer here. Right. Signpost rub says that this is an area that is that multiple bucks core, at least two bucks, core ranges or core areas are overlapping most likely in this, in this general area, right? A big prime or a big community scrape says that deer are frequently this frequenting this spot to communicate with one another of all varieties, does, fawns, bucks, mature bucks, young bucks, whatever it is. And I have doe bedding 
behind me and in front of me, you know, depending on where I'm going to set up, right. Yep. There's dough, there's two areas of dough bedding here that I can say that for sure is that I feel for sure is dough bedding. And I'd walk through it. So I knew that it was, I found beds. So I knew that it was dough bedding. I found a bunch of beds. So I was like, it was all those things kind of came together in that one spot. And I was like, I don't know anything about this spot. And I can't tell you when deer are going to frequent it necessarily, but I do know there's a lot of things that are, that are happening right here that are all kind of coming together at this one particular area. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to end up hunting it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of my, um, so I, I live in an area that's, that's pretty flat, so we don't have a ton of terrain, but, uh, in the spots where I, where I feel like I can get just a little bit of terrain to kind of dictate movement and maybe help me out with my thermals, uh, water feature coming in, uh, a vegetation edge and some, some, as much diversity within the vegetation as I can. So if I can get like an, an, a, a section of CRP with some taller timber and then some mixed timber and then some pines close by, like if I can get those things within, you know, a hundred yard circle, that, that mm-hmm. spot's going to be money. Yeah. I mean, the, the advice I always try to give people if they're like newer and they're, you know, they're going out, maybe they're scouting public land or even if they have like, you know, private properties that they have access to. It's like, if they, I'm like, if you, if you don't know anything else and, and you're, and you're struggling, if there's water nearby, go to water. Mm, yeah. And the, the reason I say that is, is a couple, couple reasons. And one main reason is, is that more than anything, if you can just get into an area that has diversity of habitat, yep. you're going to be in better shape because it's going to give you a bunch of different things that deer want. It's going to give them cover because it's usually like when you're close to water, it's damp. So it's usually thicker with vegetation. There's usually some form of food that's around there for them to be able to eat. It's usually thick enough for cover, but also bedding. And it's also cover because usually there's only danger can only really access from one general, one general direction. The sign that gets laid down there usually sticks around. So you can see the sign a little bit more clearly. If you have a hard time seeing sign now, I will say because it sticks around a little bit longer, it's oftentimes a little misleading when you're in and around like wet areas. Cause that sign will hold really well. Yeah. And you believe it. It's, it's newer when it's really, you know, it might be days, even, even weeks old. And because the ground's a little wetter, you can often see tracks better. So you can tell if there's a big deer in the area or not a big deer, if it's does, if it's fawns or whatever the case is. So my advice is always like, if you have water, I would start there and then backtrack your way from water, whether you're following a trail, whether you're following rubs, a scrape line, rub line, whatever it is, and then just start backtracking however the deer are moving. You know, that's how that's, you know, and I even do that in areas where I go to, if I'm really kind of stumped, it's like, I'll just be like, all right, just give me some water. (laughs) Let me find some water and then I'll figure it out from there because I'll find something there. I'm pretty sure, you know, yeah. So how, how, how much does that play into your, your choice of a property? So we, you know, we'd kind of, we'd kind of launched into this talking about how to choose and pick and choose different properties that you're going to add to your portfolio, let's say for the year. What if you find a property that has no water on it really, or at least mm-hmm. no, no year round water, or is that going to cause you to kind of look over that property pretty quickly? Like, are you just going to kind of ignore that one? No, nah, especially locally for me, because I don't, there's not enough pieces around me that has enough significant water to, to really make that feature like a primary kind of go-to, Okay, you know, like there's, there's just not enough of it around me. There's some, um, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not like there, there's a ton of, you know, big like bass lakes or bass ponds or anything like that that you can kind of go, you know, work off of or, or whatever. Um, so a lot of what I am scouting and am looking at is kind of, is, is void of water in, in okay. many cases, you know? And so from there, it's like, you know, I, I'll probably start like looking for, I mean, this isn't like new news, but it's like clear cuts. Like that's like the main thing that I look for. Like whenever I'm going somewhere is like, where is a clear cut and how old is it? You know, and how far away from access is it, you know? And yep. is there a part of it that I can kind of, um, get to that's going to be a bitch to get to. Yep. You know what I mean, and those are the areas that I'm really kind of, that I'm really kind of looking for. And if I can find those and oftentimes, you know, whenever they do those cuts, you know, they, they leave purposefully <clears throat> a handful of oaks back, you know what I mean? For regeneration of oak trees and stuff. Right. So in and around those clear cuts, you can usually find oaks if you can't find them anywhere else. Right. They're usually in and around there somewhere. So you can usually find whether they drop every year or not, that remains, you know, to be seen. You just kind of have to suss that out during the season. Um, 
the one thing, this is kind of like my little secret sauce. I hate to even say it. I've mentioned it on my podcast before, so I guess I'll, I'll mention it. Um, it's actually something that I, uh, I was actually talking to Andy May about, and I mentioned it to Andy, and it was the only time I felt like I could just shut the podcast down and stop my podcast altogether because I had said something to Andy May. was like, man, I never thought of that. That's a really good idea. That's a good strategy. And I was <laughs> That's like, a win. Oh. I was like, I'm done. I was like... <laughs> And yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's the last one we're ever going to do. Uh, I was like, Andy Mays just dapped me up. I'm good. Yeah. You know? Um, but, uh, but what it is essentially is like when I go to, you know, to clear cut, especially, um, you know, areas that has like a little bit of elevation and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be like steep, just enough to where like water would run down it. You know, um, I'll look for like what I kind of refer to as like mountaintop swamps where it's like, it's been clear cut in the past. It's up on top of a mountain and it's just, it's just, uh, because it's flat, the water just doesn't ever drain. And it creates like, you know, like I've, I've scouted mountaintop swamps around me that have like reeds on the top, you know what I mean? Where wow. it looks like they're literally like in a, like there's a frag up there, you know? And so it's like, I'll look off. I've found like deadheads in there and stuff like that. And, you know, and it's great, it's great cover. So that's like the one thing I'll, I'll look at. The other thing, this is the thing that I talked to Andy about was, what I kind of found was, is like, you know, a lot of people know about clear cuts, you know, and they're of course interested in hunting around them. Cause one, they create a great edge, right. Deer like edge, you know, and usually it's thick. So there's cover, you know, and there's usually because it's thick, there's usually some form of browsing food, whether it's green briar or whatever it is. And then of course they leave oak trees back. So there's probably some, some acorns around there somewhere, you know, during the course of October. So the edges aren't really hundred percent what I'm looking for, because that's what everyone else is kind of looking for. What I kind of look for is like anywhere that there's a mountain runoff that runs inside of a clear cut hmm. and the clear cut, a lot of times are almost impenetrable, especially when you get to that, like, you know, six years to 10 years old or whatever, where it gets to almost like super high stem count, a lot of like saplings where it's like, it's almost impossible to walk through. You know what I mean? Yep. But what I found is like, if I can find that ingress of water somewhere of a mountain runoff that usually if you can kind of bushwhack your way through far enough, it'll get to a spot to where it'll start to pool and it'll kill all the trees and vegetation around it and create like this open area inside the cut. And wow. like, and that's actually, and I'll use that water ingress as the way in because it's usually the clearest way in because it's killed or moved. If the water's rushed, it's moved enough of like, the debris out of the way. You still probably have to like bushwhack a little bit to kind of get in, but eventually it'll open up. And that's actually where I found like scrapes and like buck beds and, and stuff like that is actually getting inside the cut itself. Interesting. Yeah. I've, so we've had, I've seen some similar things uh, dealing with clear cuts and down in the deep South, um, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily a ton of like the water inside of the cut, but if you can find openings within mm -hmm. the larger cut, something about it. It's like, it's, it, you know, you'll have trails. I mean, you've seen it trails oh, man, running all through the trail that's coming from every yep. direction. Like yep. it all just leads right into there. You that's know? right. They spider web through the whole thing, but they all converge on that one open area within the cut. Yep. And so, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm sure people have done this before I did, but it's like, I stumbled upon a handful of years ago and I started just kind of looking at cuts that way each time in every cut I would find, I would, that I could find a water ingress for, cause not all of them have it, you know? Sure. So you have to have like, you know, I mean, there was definitely open areas, but like, as far as like, there was two things that that was serving for me. One was like an easy access way in. Yep. It usually was perpendicular to like deer trails. So deer weren't using that water ingress. Mm. You know what I mean, so, so it was easy access on the way in and it was almost a surefire that surefire that I would know that once I got in so far that, that water would pool and kill everything. Yeah. You know, and it'd be like swamp grass. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And create like really good bedding opportunity and, and, and things like that. Yeah. For, for me, most of the openings were where they parked the loader, <laughs> you know, or park, yeah. park, parked yeah. equipment, you know, during the, uh, during the actual cut itself. Well, uh, last thing that I kind of want to touch on here when we're picking out new properties, I'm curious what role hunting pressure plays. Uh, and maybe it's not even fair to say hunting pressure. I'm thinking more along the lines of even non hunting pressure. Like, how do you count the two against one another maybe? Or how, how, do, you, how do you process that when you're thinking through uh, a new property? Because I, I've got several right around me here that are like multi-use areas. Now, they're obviously hunted a ton, but there are a lot of people that walk their dogs out there, a lot of people who like to hike out there. 
how do you uh, how do you factor that in? Yeah, and most of the places I hunt, at least locally to me, um, you know, there's always some form of like recreation that you know is used that those places are used for as well. Um, so I'm kind of dealing with the same thing. And so, you know, in general terms, what I tell people, what I would say is like, if I'm somewhere and I have my, my way, I'm looking for places that aren't going to be pressured. You know, if, if I can get away from it, you know, it's like, I'll go to a place that looks like complete dog crap, <laughs> you know what I mean? And hunt that because no one else is, you know what I mean? Cause I'm probably gonna have better hunts, Yeah, you know, gonna have better hunts there. Um, that's not always possible, especially, you know, I live, you know, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, you know, fifth biggest metropolitan area in the country. So there's a lot of people around here yeah. <laughs> and yeah. a lot of, a lot of people that hunt, you know? Um, so getting away from pressure is non-existent. My buddy, Greg, let and I joke about that. He's from Jersey. Yeah. We joke about this all the time. I'm like, man, if you're deterred by flagging tape, you ain't ever going to hunt around me. Mm. I was like, it's all over the place. Like, you know what I mean? It's like the human sign is all over the place. Um, so what you kind of have to do is you kind of have to scout the people when you're scouting the deer. Yeah. You know, and you have to use their pressure to your advantage. You have to understand that like the way I look at it is like, look, most people probably aren't as particular about their access as I am. They're going to take the path of least resistance and I know it, right? They leave their stands up. I mark all of them on my map while I'm going through scouting. Like, so I know where they're going to, where they're going to be at. I prefer if people use hang ons and leave them up because I know they're not moving. You know what I mean? Like I know they're going to be there. It's like, you know, so I kind of mark all that stuff and kind of understand where those folks are going to be. And then I try to use their pressure and their access and their wind, you know, to, to my advantage. And then the kind of jerk move is, is that I'll often set up with my wind where it shouldn't be for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, so it's like, I'm using them to my advantage, but then I'm also in a, I'm not, look, I'm not hunting on top of people. I don't want to make it sound, I don't want to make it sound like that, but put it this way. It's sure. like, if I have an area, and there is a particular area and it's one where I had the encounter with the one really good, good deer this year near a primary scrape. I hunt that spot because it's so thick and shitty to get into that. I know nobody else is going to do it until like super late season. I never see anybody in there until like sometime during gun season, whenever like all the foliage is down and it's much, much easier to walk into, Yeah, you know, like people aren't walking into it otherwise, you know? Um, and I know where the tree stands are at that are around there. And, and I know how they're accessing because I've walked their access. I found their flagging tape, you know, and I walked the access actually to the tree stand. So I knew how they were getting in. And so I was like, well, this is how they're getting in. This is where they're going to set up. And I don't know which, I don't know if it's one person that's using these or if it's multiple people with, you know, different people that have these set up. It doesn't really matter to me. I just assume they're all being used at the same time. Yep. You know? Yep. And so knowing that it creates like a little enclave around the area that I, that I go to, that like all their access and their setups actually push all the deer right to where I'm at, you know? And so I'm kind of using their access in like, in, in what they're doing to, to my advantage, the, the best that I can. Um, the other thing I do, and not everyone has this opportunity, but this year I hunted a lot during the week, yeah. you know, I just, I go out when other people aren't out, you know, then that's the, that's the easiest way. And, and that's why I started hunting a lot more mornings in October. You know, people say, Oh, I don't hunt mornings. Like, look, if you have 500 acres or 250 acres or whatever of a family farm and you have control over it and you control the pressure and stuff like that. Yeah. October, I probably wouldn't hunt mornings either unless I knew for sure that something was was moving or I had embedded and I could get back and knew I was going to beat him back to bed and kill him. You know, like, sure. Yep. Public land where you don't control any of that. The deer are most likely to move when they have the least uh, least resistance to their movement to when the least amount of people are in the woods, create problems for them. Right. <laughs> sure. So what sure. is that during the week? Yep. Right. Yep. People hunt after work evening. So when is the best time where they're going to have the least amount of pressure, be able to move the most freely Monday through Friday, 6am to about three o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. you, have you looked at any of those, uh, any of those studies that show, um, sort of how public lands and, and deer move on them uh, and how they recover coming into the week. It's like, it's like Saturday by Saturday, midday, every deer knows what's up, you yeah. know, and then Sunday movement's not so great. Monday, it's kind of okay. Better. And then yeah. it's like Wednesday, by the time you get back to Wednesday, then it's like almost normal movement against so that Wednesday and like Thursday morning 
are like peak. Wednesday and Thursdays are the two days that I typically will hunt the morning during, during the work week. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, unless I get like the right wind conditions and I'm getting like a temperature drop or something like that. And it's going to be good. Then like, yeah, I'll go out on like a Monday or whatever, you know? Yeah. Cause especially October, like you're, you, you know, you've got like your, your dedicated people out. Like most people were still, you know, taking their vacation time and going out and their time at the end of October, beginning of November. So that's really whenever it gets hammered, you know, it's a little less earlier in October. I like warm days, dude. Like I'll go out and hunt a warm day. Cause especially cause we open like mid September here, 80 degree day, buggy. Love it. Yeah. No one else wants to do it. That's right. That's right. It's like, I'll go out whenever no one else wants to. Yep. For sure. Well, man, uh, you know, I've had you on here for quite a while. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today about, uh, finding new pieces of property. And also we talked a little bit about, um, about sort of analyzing the season there. These are going to actually be in a being two separate episodes. Why don't you tell folks uh, where they can find more from you? One of the things that I've always appreciated about your podcast is you're a guy that can dive deep into sort of any, any topic and go as far as somebody wants to go. So, uh, if, if folks want to hear more, uh, more from you, where can they go to find it? Yeah, it's uh, Truth from the Stand is the uh, podcast, and it's on you know all the places that podcasts are located: Apple, uh, you know, Apple Store, or I guess iTunes rather, and Spotify, iHeart, all that, all that good stuff. Uh, have a YouTube channel, so if you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube while you're at work or whatever, they're on the YouTube channel. Have some saddle hunting videos and things like that that are on there as well. Um, I, uh, I've got truth from the stand.com. There's a blog. My buddy, Aaron Hepler has been writing some articles for that, which have been killer. Um, so he's been writing some really good articles. Like, yeah, Aaron's awesome. He's a good buddy of mine. He's doing a killer. He's doing a killer job. Um, but yeah, he has some good articles on there that he's posted. There's some merch on there. Uh, just launched some new merch. It's a road, the road dog yeah, merch. It's uh, to commemorate, uh, Chad and I's hunt in Kansas together and the giant that, that, uh, that he killed. And, um, at Skullbrew Coffee Company, skullbrewcoffee.com. Then um, I donate 10% of the proceeds that we make from the coffee business uh, to conservation. So if you dig good coffee uh, and don't like drinking shitty coffee, then we got you covered. You can check that out. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find more outdoor-themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you download your podcasts.